0: International, because what we're going to be talking about is a ministry called Collaborative for Neighborhood Transformation. Our focus in this is how do you transform neighborhoods in North American cities. This is based on CHE, Community Health Evangelism. The booth is just over there. And this and CHE have... How many of you heard the term CHA, community health evangelism? Okay. Community health evangelism is what's being done. It's empowering churches to do things, to, empowering churches to go into villages, work with people in the villages, help identify what assets villages, villagers have, what do they want to learn, what skills, knowledge, and ability do they have, what do they want to learn, and then trains them how to do it. Jay's being done in 125 countries of the world, being done in uh, by about 600 different organizations now. This is not a one organization or show. This is many, many groups are using Jay all over the world, about 5,000 million. But today what we're going to talk about is how is this used in a city with a church and we're going to, I'm going to be talking about a strategy and approach that's a neighborhood approach but how can this be used from a clinic base are are any of you working in clinics Or QIC's or okay So how do you do this? How do you combine your clinic work with neighborhood outreach? Because if you're an FQIC, you're supposed to be doing health education, prevention, all of those good things. But the best bulk of the clinics are not. Why? Because they don't get paid for that. Now in theory, with Obamacare, you will. I'm not from Missouri, but I have a Missourian's mind, so therefore we'll see. So we're going to be talking about a strategy, whether it's international here, that's all about empowering people to do things for themselves, not doing things for them. Have any of you read, well, you heard Brian Fickard, right? And he... Has a program, he's got a couple of books, but one of his most famous ones is We're Helping Hurts. Have any of you read that one? Good book. It'll turn your worldview upside down. Because it's all about, we think we're helping people. But in reality, we're hurting people because we're taking away their dignity by giving things to people. Instead of lifting them up, we actually are pushing them down. Another book by Bob Lupton, who has been around for 30 years in Atlanta, called Toxic Charity. Sets the stage for what we do. So what we're going to be talking about is equipping clinics to facilitate transformation in individuals in a geographic neighborhood and then those individuals aggregated together through community organizing transform the place they live. So it's about individual transformation and neighborhood transformation. Everything we do is built on Luke 10.27. You know what Luke 10.27 is? Love God. How? With all your heart, mind, body, and strength. That's called the spiritual mandate, but it doesn't stop there. The, the second portion of it begins to meddle in your life. And that is, love your neighbor as how? As yourself. That's called the cultural mandate. The two go together. They aren't separated. Our word and deed should be in congruence. They should be together, not separated. So, our purpose in this is not just curing existing disease, but helping people to be healthy and whole in all areas of their life, not just their physical area, not just their economic area, but their emotional, their social, and their spiritual. It's all about how do you integrate everything so that lay people can see transformation. We're after transformation in in the lives of people And communities that's as deep as the human heart and as broad as the whole range of society sectors. And Jesus is recognized as Lord over all creation. And our development activities are designed to reflect Jesus and what his example is. Transformation is built on relationships, relationships, relationships. Now, we worked overseas for, well, we lived overseas for 10 years in Africa, and then I worked for the next 20 years all across Central Asia, China, and Asia. And everything over there is based on relationships. But we're Westerners. Are we relational? We're time-oriented. And, but for things to change, it's relationships. Just because you as a doctor say, do something, you need to change. Most people aren't going to change. Their, specifically, their health behaviour. You need people that have a relationship with them. And so what we're after here in the U.S., one of the very first steps is to get people to know their neighbors. Because I could ask you a question. Think about your house that's in the, the tic-tac-toe, you know, the kids game. Your house is in the center. There would be eight houses or apartments around you. Can any of you name the names of all eight people? All eight. There are eight families, might be two people in the place, or it might be six next door. Can anybody name the names of all the people living? That's not unusual. For those that say, yeah, I can, I say, okay, tell me something personal about them. Not that the old man drives a Maserati. Because that can be seen from outside as we drive down the street, push our garage door, goes up, etc. So, everything is built on relationships. Now, when you think of good health, this is a very... Just being healthy physically, does that mean you have good health? Of course, the answer is no. There are many, 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 many things you need safety, you need some role in society, you need food, you need sanitation, you need clean water, you need housing, you need spiritual, you need uh, self-acceptance, physical, spiritual, emotional, and social. You need all those elements. If I come in and you're unemployed and I teach you how to get a job, is that good? Sure but is that going to make you healthy? If, if you believe it will, I would suggest think broader. And so what's needed for good health is how do you impact people's health in all areas of life. And that's what we're about. But it's not us as as a physician, or us as a business person, professional, saying you need this, this, and this. It's dealing with items that people need to change that they want to change. I'm going to talk about a specific curative clinic. It's right here in many... And, uh, I pronounce your name wrong, I'm sorry, in Louisville. <laughs> Or something like that. It's a clinic. It's uh, in the Shawnee neighborhood. And their desire is to have, they say, health care without a spiritual component is not health care. Health care that emphasizes curative care and not prevention care is not health care. Pretty bold statements, but that's part of what they're doing. Their vision statement is transforming communities one neighborhood at a time by sharing the love of Christ in word and, are you listening, deed, doing it, action. Verbal's not enough. And through providing excellent health care to the people in in their catchment area. Their mission statement is to care for the whole person, physically, spiritually, psychologically, and socially. Care for the community, utilizing community health care principles. Care for the people's self worth. So, this is a real life clinic. It's the Shawnee Cl- Clinic. This is the neighborhood. This is the river. You know, the goes, and if you go straight across the river, you're in that other country of Indiana. And this is about a 12 square block area. It's a very underserved area, a very poor area. Um, 17,000 people live in that area, and is a size 10 by 12, about 12 by 12. It's a zip code of 40212. of the people live in poverty. Now, how do they know that? Who tells us, where can you get these statistics? Go out and count noses? Now our wonderful government, through the census, has all kinds of data that tells you. Have any of you ever gone to the census to look up information about the neighborhood, geography you live in, I see one head shaking, yeah. It's got so much information, it blows your mind. It all comes from the 10-year census. Right now, it's good, because the census was done in 2010, and for the neighborhoods, it's just been published in about 2012. Um, stuff's going to be out of date. That neighborhood has 30% higher mortality rate. Death rates from heart disease are 38% and from stroke 42%. The infant mortality rate is 100% higher, in other words twice higher than what's found in the rest of Louisville, 25% of the people in that neighborhood don't have a high school education. 50% never attended college. Something like 46% live in rented homes. So it's a transient area, but we're all transient. Doesn't matter. When you live in a city, sometimes I ask people, how many... Have you have lived in a, in a place, in, in the place you live now, five years, or you've only moved less than five times, sorry, you only moved less. And that's generally fairly small. Okay, what about 10? What about 15? And most Americans, the number's closer to 15 that people have moved. So that means they don't know their neighbor. There is no community. We use in Shea a definition of community which is a combination of the two words. There are two words there. What do you see in the word community? Common Common. and and unity. And when you look at village people, when you look at the Hollers of Kentucky, you find this. People have lived in a place for a long time. They know each other. They're generally related to each other. And there is a real sense of community. They hold many things in common. They have a sense of unity. But when you live in a city setting, there is no sense of community because people move. Because, particularly in North America and Western Europe, we aren't relational. We don't want to know our neighbors. So we have some big hurdles when we're dealing with urban settings to create because what is this built on relationships and so we're all about trying to create a new community and so we try and look at a piece of geography what we want to create is a people living in a definable geographic area a neighborhood why because if you learn something and you're told, go do it, let's say you go to church. A big, the typical church in the U.S. is a commuter church. You come from all over the place. I teach you something. You go. And we say, do this back where you live. You're out there by yourself. There's never enough mass. So what we're going to be talking about from a... Neighborhood standpoint is a fixed neighborhood. From a clinic standpoint, we're talking about your catchment area. Now, in your catchment area, if you're an FQHC or, a, in other words, if you are providing health care for the poor and people know that, they come from all over, don't they? But you need to plot on the map: Are there congreg? Are there people congregated together. Uh, And you'll find that your patients come. If you do a plotting, you'll find a group here, and you'll find another group here, and you'll find another group here. So they live, they know each other. If you're in an ethnic community with refugees in particular, you will find they get to know each other very quickly. Why? They have in their DNA. If they come from Cambodia or Vietnam, they have in their DNA. I use the word DNA, not really, but part of them is. We need others, and I want to know others that are like me. So, because of of that. Secondly, refugees come here because they've been placed here. And think, how many of you have lived overseas, not just short term? Okay, those of you that have lived overseas, before you go overseas was as a missionary or for a company, you were prepared for it, right? As much as possible. But when you got there, you felt alone. And so you were looking for people that were like you. And so... There's, in, in the refugee community, there is more of a knowing each other. We If, if transformation is going to happen in a geographic area, people have to be available to each other. They have to be walking down the street. Hi, Pete. How are you doing? Hey, I see you got a new car. In a poor area? Forget But Yeah, a new car. It's a... Uh, 1985, but it's a new car. <laughs> uh, but it, it's informal. So, and... How are things going, Pete? Well, my wife's in the hospital. Oh! Can I help you? Versus if we're hidden behind our doors, you don't know each other. So, people know each other. Okay. A neighborhood and a catchment area, I've talked about. When we talk, one of the things I normally work with, here in the U.S., the prime initiator of neighborhood transformation are churches. They're churches. Now, over 90% of all the churches, though, in the U.S. are commuter churches. Meaning that people come from all over. So, but we look for churches that want to impact a geographic area. We then come alongside that church and train them how to impact the area. And the first thing we do, which they don't like, is say, you got to get outside your four walls. Stop walking your neighborhood. Jogging doesn't count and bicycling doesn't count. Why? As you're walking, pushing, walking a dog, walking a kid, you see Jonathan and you say, Hey, I'm Stan. I live down the street. Don't ask any big pushy stuff. We aren't asking you to go to, to the door. In a clinic setting, same thing. You need people in a geographic area within your catchment area that can and are willing to begin to know their neighbors to see transformation take place, to see change. One of the things we talk about is using an elementary school as a good starting point. Why do you think we use an elementary school? Anybody know? Well, two or three things. Number one, in an in most cities, not all, in most cities the bulk of the kids from an elementary school live within walking distance. Yes, there's some busing, but you guys, I don't think, are as bad as Boston. In Boston, 15 years ago, they did Topsy-Turby, meaning that they said no more than 20% of any kids living in, this na- in a, any given neighborhood can go to school in that neighborhood because they wanted to get mixing them. All kinds of other dumb reasons. Sorry, <laughs> that's a political statement. <laughs> anyway, so, and secondly, with elementary schools, the, we really want to reach the parents. And you start through the kids. And in elementary schools, that's where parents are most involved in kids' lives. When you move to a middle school, it's less and about five, anywhere from three to five elementary schools typically feed a middle school or a junior high school. So we focus that. Now how does a clinic in a neighborhood you, uh, you need somebody within the clinic to be the coordinator of the program. And many of you, if you're in an FQIC, you have a community outreach person, one person, typically. You use that person to identify where the clusters of people are in your, in your catchment area. You then begin to develop relationships and what you're looking for is churches in the neighborhood of where that cluster is. Because you want to use the church as your main outreach. If you're a secular program, then you might have a problem with that. But, we use churches. And, the coordinator finds people that are churches that are interested to be trained as initiators in the geographic neighborhood that, where that cluster of group lives. If your FQHC is dealing with a bunch of ethnic people, and if they're refugees, refugees come, when they first come into the U.S., they come to a resettlement area where they, they stay for six months, everything's paid for. But after six months, all the government subsidies start to go away except for the kids. And then what do they want to do? They want to move, if they can, close to where there are other people like them. Uh, I, up in Minneapolis... I think of Minneapolis as good old Swedish-Norwegian area. But guess what? In uh, the Phillips neighborhood, actually a size of about this neighborhood, uh, there were 125 different nationalities. Here. Two apartment complexes. One had a... Uh, 1,500 Somalis living. There were two of them like that. And in another one was 800 Ethiopians. So people, when they get the chance, they do want to to congregate. So, one of the things, actually, they began to do neighborhood transformation before the clinic was even opened. They knew where it was going to be. But in opening a brand new clinic, you just don't do that overnight, do you? It takes a lot of prep work, a lot of money, et cetera. So they went into the Shawnee neighborhood, they found a neighborhood association. Have you ever heard that term, neighborhood association? In most that's what you oversees what we call a village committee. In other words, it's the leadership that's there made up of local people from the neighborhood who are running it. And, but here in the U.S. we call them neighborhood associations. About 50% of them, uh, about 50% of the neighborhoods are there is an association. They went with them and they began to develop relationships. They began to identify What skills, knowledge, and abilities do people in the neighborhood have? We call it asset mapping. Do I have any social workers in here? Okay. There's a a, a process that's been going on here in North America called Asset-Based Community Development, ABCD. What it's all about is identifying the assets, the skills, knowledge, ability, and passions found in people, find out what they want to learn, and then start networking them together, and then start equipping them so they can do what they want to do. And so they began to do asset mapping. Who'd they use? We've developed an eight-question questionnaire. It requires about five, ten minutes. First question is, what do you like about the neighborhood that you live in? Second question, one thing would you change? What skills? Etc. Et and they recruited see, uh, senior high students to do it. And in about a eight-week period, they got about 300 surveys. And they were able then to sort out what skills were in the neighborhood? They were able then to identify what knowledge and skills would people be willing to share? They were able to figure out what were some things that might be of interest to people to see changed? What did they want to learn? And then we went, They went through a whole process and I'm not going to go through the process but The idea is finding out what the neighborhood wanted to do. And they actually started that before the clinic opened. They've done some neat stuff. Uh, They started an urban garden. Urban gardening is the buzzword in urban U.S. it seems. If people start something new in an urban setting, it's an urban garden. Detroit. Something like 40% of all the city land in Detroit is in ruin. <laughs> in other words, you know, shacks, half buildings, one house per block that's still livable, etc. Well, they, they're they doing urban gardens. And they're even doing a reforestation project where a guy wants to put in Well, he's going to get over 100 acres of land to put in fast-growing trees to make it a business. So, anyway. One of the key things, Stanford Social Innovation Review is into a lot of studying stuff. And one of the things that has has been done is... Why do people change their life? What best motivates a person to change their health behavior? And guess what? It's not the professional. It's the peer group. It's your relative. So, and what's our big problems right now here in the U.S.? What, what are some of our problems? Ten top conditions. Depression, obesity, arthritis, back, neck, anxiety, uh, GERD. Gastro. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, allergies, cancer, chronic pain, and hypertension. These, here in the U.S., across the board, these are your ten main problems. And It's how much they cost us to deal with. And most of these are preventable or, if not preventable, controllable. Right? What's the fix for obesity? Exercise. Exercise. Eating proper food. You know, etc. Now, Eating more regular, uh, more naturally because of all of your processed food has high salts and sugars in them. And so that's why gardening has come back. And if you look in urban settings, they are a food desert, meaning there are very few food stores. And most food stores are selling junk, if there are, Their small mom and pops are expensive, and they are selling junk food. That leads to obesity. So, each one of these has a uh, gigantic cost. In fact, in wellness programs, the average cost per employee per year, because of this is, according to the studies, $2,293 to be exact. But all of these could be changed, many of these could be changed through support groups, through a wellness program, through education. And with the younger kids, with kids, they don't have to be there in the first place. So there are problems to fix. Now, they use a a program. We have a whole... One of the things we do is equip people, as I said, to identify what people want to change in their lives. And over the years, we have developed... Well, for North America, we have about 3,000 lesson plans into manuals. And we've got a series on wellness. We have a series on diabetes. We have a, a, a series is only four- to eight-hour lessons. Because most Americans won't come to a class that's a 20-hour class. And so we have uh, developed a wellness. We haven't developed it. We've taken it from a group here. There was a guy, in fact, he's speaking. I think he spoke yesterday, Terry Dwelling, on a wellness program. He's the chief medical officer for the state of North Dakota. He was a missionary in Nia Congo. Then he joined us in doing neighborhood transformation, Jay, ch- sorry, community health evangelism. And so he developed a wellness program that speaks physicianese. <laughs> and the approach is so that he developed a very, very good program. And a lot of the documentation I'm taking is from their studies and so forth. And they found that if there is a wellness program, there needs to, well, first there needs to be some organization that's spearheading this wellness program. Typically, it's been companies that have spearheaded But guys, clinics, How many of you have ever heard of Lawndale? Lawndale is a gigantic Christian community development program that has a very, very small clinic. They see 150,000 outpatients a year. Twice as big as Cook County. They have a wellness program. And so a clinic can set up a wellness program that gets you beyond what's your problem. You need to change your health. Here's a because you 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 have diabetes. Here's a way that we can help you. And they so the clinic is actually that. So they found that when a wellness program was in in effect. Absenteeism in businesses at jobs decreased by almost 27%. Health care costs were reduced by 26%. Worker compensation was decreased by 32%. Cost benefits were almost 6 to 1 over the cost. And this was a study that was done in, by Chapman and the Art of Health Promotion and August. Let's just talk a minute or two about why do we focus we focus on assets not needs you're all taught in medical to do a needs assessment right we ask what's your need and for good we try and deal with your need but when i tell you my need is thus and so Who's going to, in your mind, who's going to fix the problem? Who's going to meet my need? You, me. In other words, the guy that asked. And so, whether it's overseas or whether it's here, when you ask a needs assessment, we can do a needs assessment. We really, people in their mind think, oh, great. You're going to fix me. And why do, go, why do people go to doctors? Sorry, but why do they go to doctors? I'm sick, doc, fix me. Right? Whether it's with medicine, surgery, and sometimes that's very, very needed. But in the bulk of the cases, there's stuff that could be done. So we focus on the other end of the telescope. What are the assets and opportunities that people have and then, because of that, we then network people together so that they can help each other, so that they can begin to change. Most people that are working with the urban poor unconsciously we think oh, they aren't educated, they don't have the resources, they don't have the knowledge, they don't have the education. Now, I know you aren't thinking that, but you're acting that way. Sorry. (laughs) And so, when you do that, what does that do? Those of you that have read Helping Hurts or Toxic Charity, it takes away whatever self-esteem people have, throws it away, and drives people down instead of up. And that's not what we're about. When you focus on assets, you're focusing on what are the skills, knowledge, ability, and most important, passion that people have and are they willing to share it. Because how would you feel if you were always receiving, receiving, receiving? Does that make you feel good? Not me, not you, not the poor. Not the generational poor even. The idea is we want to get people to understand they're created in whose image? God's image. This is not an economic program where you take from the rich, whether it be money, taxes, whatever, and give to the poor. It's all about empowering people to take responsibility for their own lives. And you say, oh, they can't do that. People can. And so we are heavy on the assets because we've got to change your mind. We've got to change your worldview. So we do that. Uh, All people have value. It builds on what's in the neighborhood. And that means you can get it started and leave. You know the big word sustainability? Lots of people talk about it. I I talk about it as the Energizer Bunny. You know the Energizer Bunny from TV? It's still on. It's been on for 30 years. It keeps going and going. What you're after is changing seeing people's lives transformed through their own self-effort and then they transforming others who keep going on and on it's called multiplication 2 Timothy 2. this whole strategy was developed when i was on staff with this weird organization called campus crusade for christ that the only people think the only thing they they taught was how to share the four laws but built into their whole philosophy was, you haven't done anything until you see fourth generation multiplication. Paul, disciple to Timothy, who disciple to. There are four generations there, and so everything we do is built on the idea of multiplication. So we focus on the assets, not the needs. We seek what the Lord wants in this place, in this neighborhood. Because the Lord wants, loves every person. Rich, poor, black, white, green, yellow, highly educated, uneducated, high IQ, very, very low IQ. He has he created them. And so we need to become involved. So what are we after? First and foremost, of course, is in a clinic setting you want to provide high quality medical care. Absolutely. But secondly, what you want to do is create Within your catchment area, new communities where people know each other, trust each other, are willing to share some of the skills they have, are willing to be taught, are willing then to take the bottom line is action because just head knowledge is useless. We're an active, very, very strong activist. And so, as individuals' lives change and are transformed from the inside, then we want to connect people together. So, through a process which we teach of community organizing, they then can actually take and change their neighborhood. There are some key principles. I guess I only got about five minutes left, is, and it's built on empowerment instead of doing. Most churches are doing. Sorry. It's built on how do you integrate word and deed. Jesus was our example. He just didn't do word, he did deed. And they weren't separated. Sometimes he did word first, and sometimes he did deed first. How can they be part and parcel so that we're walking a true discipleship's life It deals with all aspects of the community. It's all about building local leadership. It's all about this thing keeps going and going and going. It's owned not by the clinic, not by the church, but by the people in the neighborhood. And our teaching style is not what I'm doing here, lecturing to you. It's a very, very participatory style. There are three ways to help And one is doing things for people. The second is where I come alongside to coach somebody to change something that they want to change. And the third is empowerment. Once I have trained them to do it, they begin to train others to do it, and they begin to organize people to do something as a group instead of individuals. Ninety percent of the churches who have... Social outreach programs are relief. Food closets. Clothes closets. Feeding programs. Good! Needed to get people in the church involved because people in the church sitting in the congregation, the, most, the thing they're most willing to get involved takes no commitment. I give you some money. I give you one afternoon time. There's this. So you got to have this. What you're after, though, is coming alongside somebody and coaching them. Alcoholic Anonymous program would be one. Tutoring in a school would be one. After school, one. So that's good. That's in the right direction. The development is where you get people to do the community gardens. You equip them. They do the community gardens. They begin to share their fruit and Community gardens are best done. Here's a piece of land that it's an acre and it's broken into individual it's broken into individual plots so that individuals are working their own plot. But you're growing carrots and you're growing cabbage and you're growing peas. So what do you do? I'm my God! I got all these tomatoes. I'm, what am I going to do with these? I sure like some cabbage. You got cabbage? so you trade it. And what does that do? and you set it up appropriately so that it happens, you begin to eat healthier then. And if you really get fancy and it takes fancy and it takes skills, you do a farmer's market. Which brings in the rich boys, which then brings income to the neighborhood. Right there in the neighborhood. So Our trainings by participation. Let me just share a couple of the accomplishments. They opened in 2011, but they had been doing neighborhood transformation for about a year and a half in the Shawnee neighborhood. And today they're up to about 30 patients a day. They are being Actually, Monday and Tuesday they're being viewed, checked out. I don't know what you call when the government comes to check you for to be a uh, FQHC look-alike, which means great things to them because of funding for them. Um, they set up in the poor area. There, there's a desert, particularly fresh fruits and vegetables. So there was a convenience store next door to the clinic, and they got them to have a fresh vegetable section, small seeds. What's the big deal? It's a big deal. They did that. They uh, provided all kinds of different activities. They did community gardens. They've done so many different things. They developed a network of lay people working with churches to be the instigator of transformation in a given neighborhood. They created uh, eight Shawnee uh, neighborhood initiatives which were part of a whole health care plan in their neighborhood. Something I just learned, I had dinner with, with uh, David uh, this week. They just got a Johnson & Johnson obesity, get rid of obesity grant, of which only seven were given out. That's pretty big time stuff. And it was big money, (laughs) but it was health education, training, wellness, all those things to deal with obesity. That's a very, very significant thing for two reasons. Money is needed. (laughs) So, therefore, this is going to help fund them. (laughs) But even more important, it shows that they're working well and recognized well in the neighborhood. They aren't. Who's they, Yeah, I I know those guys. They're down the street doing medicine. But so what? They're part and parcel of the community. Well, time to quit. If you have any, uh, if you're interested in neighborhood transformation, you can go to www.neighborhoodtransformation.net. Or if you're interested in the international side, go to jnetwork.org. We're on Facebook. we got a blog. So we're trying to do this stuff, but I can't say we're horribly good at it. But I passed around to sign up. If you wanted more information, we'll send it to you. Uh, I've got a few brochures and descriptions or if you want to stop and talk just go out the doors, go into the exhibit hall and you'll see us staring you in the face. Shay, Neighborhood Transformation. Thank you very much for your time.